0: Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew. Whoa, yeah. So exciting. All right. So the book of Matthew, we're in Matthew chapter 8. And uh, ooh, look at that. That's a nice way to hang that thing. Looks like a big chain. Okay. Uh, Matthew chapter 8. Are you did you find it? So we're in this longer series called Follow Me. And it, it's uh because that's uh what the words that Matthew hears Jesus say, and we have understood that the book of Matthew really in its its antiquity is written to be a discipleship manual. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is who Jesus is. This is what it means to follow him, what it means to believe in him and be like him. Following Jesus means we're not just observing him. Right, We're not just observers of Jesus, we're obeying him. We're, we're following in his footsteps. We First we believe, then we be like. Okay, you, did you find Matthew chapter 8 yet? So we're in this larger series called Follow Me, but Matthew has these different sections that he breaks down his text in. And he has these uh, short series of emphases. And he has these... Uh, And in chapter 8 and into 9 are a series of miracles that are interjected with discipleship emphasis, but he has these miracles. And so we're looking at these miracles, and we recognize that in the Gospels, in all of the Bible, but particularly in the Gospels, as we're looking at them, that miracles have meaning. They mean something. That does, and that what we mean by that is that they aren't metaphors and they aren't moral lessons. They are actual, miracle, divine intervention, Jesus showing up and, 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 and in intervening miraculously, mercifully, g- graciously in the lives of people that had an immediate impact in that moment. And because it did, and it what that happens is then that that when we read this thing, we have got to uh, encounter it like a miracle and not just a metaphor. Okay, we say, "Wow, that really happened!" And the same grace, the same hope, the same shock, the same awe, we are grips us, and only from that place can we rightly respond to these miracles. And if we'll do that, then absolutely, guess what? 100%, these miracles continue to speak and to teach and to reveal uh, meaning and, and ethics and trust. But if we don't start with the fact that these are real miracles, we'll miss the whole point. Right? So we asked, basically we ask this question, what's the meaning of this miracle? And then how does it teach me, teach us, the reader today, to follow Jesus? What does it mean? How can we follow Jesus? Pretty simple? Okay, so here we go. Matthew chapter 8, beginning now at verse 28. And uh, so Jesus has just calmed the storm. You remember last week, or if you were one of the 17 and a half people that watch us online? No, that's a joke. There's actually a lot of people that watch online. But... uh, Jesus calms the storm, remember that, and we even saw last week, remember last week that the way that Jesus spoke to the waves was personal? He stood up and he rebuked, he rebuked the wind and the waves and all the commentators said, that's unusual, he's talking to the waves as if they were people. He's he's speaking to them in a personal touch, he's not, and so what we, what the idea was that when Jesus does this, it, it seems like he was speaking to some sort of a, an evil force behind that storm. We think, well, what's all that about? I wonder why that happened. Well, here's the Paul Harvey. Here's the rest of the story. It's because of where they were headed, where they were going to run into. Here we go. Ready for it? Verse 28. And when he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. Now, I know that many of you have heard this story. And many of you have heard something like this. So when I just said that, you didn't gasp in shock. But, if, but we should. Don't read this in, in 2,000 years of hindsight. Read this like... <laughs> you don't say! What? Two demon-possessed men coming from the tomb... I think I broke my nose just now. Uh, <laughs> curb your enthusiasm, Deb. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Yeah, that's that's the feeling you're supposed to get. Cue the ominous music. Whoa. Verse 29. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The, the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. What did he say? No. <laughs> Thank you. you got... What did he say? No. What, what have we already learned about the, the car? Co- I don't have time. I'll get there in a minute. What did he say? No. Did he say please? No. Did he say abracadabra? Did he say boogala? Did he wave a bunch of incense? Get out his dream catchers. No, what did he say? <laughs> Jesus is awesome. So they, he, he said, go, so they came out. I'm looking for somebody to shout at me this morning. He said, go, and they did. <laughs> he came, and they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water yeah serves those pigs right no come on we'll get there in a minute those tending the pigs ran off went into the town and reported all of this including what had happened to the demon-possessed men then the whole town went out to meet jesus and they said hey the conquering hero and they were so excited did you already read it and when they saw him they pleaded with him to leave Spirit of God, we reverence you. We welcome you. We ask that you would grant us today the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God that as we come to the scriptures, that the the God-breathed life and truth in them would breathe freshly within and upon us today. Help us to read and respond today in the presence of God by the power of your spirit. Encourage us, challenge us. Inspire us, draw us closer to Jesus that we might live for and live like him. And in the mighty, matchless, precious, and powerful name of Jesus, we say amen. amen. So what's the meaning of this miracle? Well, here's a, here's a preview. Here's what we're going we're gonna to see, two, two main points, and then kind of ask a question. Preview is this. Number one, what, what do we see here? Evil is real. Second thing that we see is Jesus Christ is Lord over evil. Now, now I, as I was typing that out, I thought, I got to be careful how I say that. Jesus is Lord over evil. I don't mean that he's an evil overlord. That's not what we mean. What we, Jesus Christ is Lord over evil. What we mean is that he has authority. He has greater authority than even the greatest evil. We have a consensus. Good. He has greater authority than even the greatest evil. Now, remember, this, is, this has been Matthew's intent. Matthew is writing with an agenda in all of these miracle stories, and even in his interaction with the disciples, there's a singular word that keeps resurfacing. There's a singular idea that Matthew wants to emphasize to his audience about who Jesus is and how we respond, and that word is authority. That Jesus Christ has all authority. And the only way that we respond to authority is obedience. Leprosy obeys him. Sin and sickness obeys him. The wind and the waves obey him. And we're about to find out that the forces of evil themselves obey him. And that's the point. Shock and awe. Jesus is Lord. He has great authority. That's it. And we, if, you, if you think, oh, yeah, well, what's next? If you miss that, you miss everything. But if you'll get that, then you can gain everything. Now, we'll look after seeing those two ideas. We'll, we'll then look at how this miracle should teach us as followers of Jesus to uh, live for and live like him. How can, we imit- how can we not only believe but be like him? So, first of all, the meaning in the text is this. Evil, the first thing is this. Evil is real. How do we see this? Now, Matthew does not um, include as many details in this passage as the other synoptic writers the synoptic means same view so mark and luke write similarly to matthew matthew mark and luke have similar rhythms similar stories similar content but they're different authors and they have different audiences and they have different agendas what is dr dav's aaa method of biblical interpretation author audience agenda everybody say it out loud you keep those things in mind when you come to the Bible it'll help you read it and understand it and respond to it well. So each we have so ah so we have a different author, we have a different audience and a specific agenda even though we're telling the same story that helps us understand why some things are here and some things aren't. Matthew does not include some of the other details that Mark does. Mark is as a shorter gospel but full of very specific details, he has a different kind of agenda. Matthew doesn't even really bother to give us all the details why because he has a singular agenda. Jesus is Lord. He the boss. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that's what he wants us to hear. It's like all the other stuff, bi bop, bippity bop, uh, the other guys. But I want you guys, I want his Jewish Christian audience to know who, who doesn't know if this, if Jesus is the Messiah or not, whether or not this is the, the son of Abraham and the, and the heir to the very throne of David. Matthew wants his audience to know, yup, he the boss. Yeah. And if he the boss of them, he the boss a me. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. <clears throat> we're not done yet. My worship uh, pastors have figured out that that's the clue that we're done. <laughs> Verse 28, evil is real. And when Jesus arrived at the other side. Somebody say the other side. When he arrives at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes. Jesus, now this is, this is important. <laughs> who's, who's Matthew's audience? His Primarily Jewish Christians, right? A Jewish audience and how he's, he, he has gone from Caperna- Capernaum, and now he has crossed over to the Very good to the other side. Now that's literal, but it also has the, it's, it's literal, but he's also signaling something. They cross over to the other side. What's the other side? The Gentile side. Thank you. Do that again. He's crossed over to the Gentile side. Yes, and so all the Jewish audience goes, ha-what? This is har- har- harumph? What's happening now? This is a new area. He's crossing over. He's, but he is, he is signaling to the reader that eventually the, the mission of the gospel has to go outside uh, uh, political, ethnocentric boundaries. Very good. Okay, so here we go. So he's crossed over to the other side. And, he, and so this is an area uh, that, that is primarily Gentile. Now, you might notice this. If you're a Bible, Bible person, you might think, hey, wait a minute. Hop. And you might think, hey, how come Matthew calls it the Gadarenes, and Mark and Luke use a different name? Matthew is, he is, he is describing a region, and in this region, the Gadarene region, there is a city there. But uh, Luke and Mark attribute the, the region, and they identify the capital city which is a little bit further away. So it's not like, oh, they don't know where it happened. They're all confused. No, they're just identifying the region differently. OK? Like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I got to go there. I might say, someone, someone might say, you know, this happened in Beaverton, where someone else might say it happened in the Portland area. Are you proud of me for using a Portland reference? Oh, high five right here, right? I'm just, I could have, I but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to cross over. Yeah. Then, then two demon-possessed men meet him. Thank you. That's exactly thank you. That's right. What? You don't say. Shock. All oh, run for your life. Now, once again, real quick, Mark and Luke only mention one feller. Matthew mentions two. What's going on here? Probably Matthew and Mark with a different agenda. Probably there was one who was dominant. I don't want to get into the details here, but it's likely that in this kind of a situation with this kind of evil and oppression, there, was, there would have been a dominant and a submissive. And they, they would identified, and the dominant one would have been the more aggressive and more vocal one. Okay? So Matthew goes ahead and just indicates, he tells us there's, there's two of them, and yet he only, there's only an engagement, really, with a singular voice. Okay? So all the, there, there, there's all the biblical criticism stuff. We've settled that. Now let's get back to the story. these two men Matthew describes as demon-possessed. We've heard that that phrase before. In the Greek, it could be translated as simply being demonized or even demon-oppressed. We saw earlier in Matthew chapter 8 that Jesus had dealt with this on the Sabbath at sunset, that people brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And with the word, he drove them out. And we talked about that what that means is that he, this is about people. In that context, this was about a whole bunch of people that were harassed and afflicted and tormented by a spiritual force, an evil spiritual force. We've seen Jesus address these conditions. We've seen that many of these conditions come, uh, uh, are accompanied by or manifested by different physical or ailments or psychological expressions. He doesn't distinct, that he doesn't, it's not, he doesn't, it, their symptoms aren't defining the person. He, the, the, the symptoms are merely an expression of a, a spiritual force that's tormenting them. Evil is real. Now, that's not for us to pump our fist in the air and say, yeah, it is. That doesn't make us excited. But evil is real. If we don't recognize that it's, that it's real, then we'll never be able to deal with it the way that Jesus did. But it's also important for us to remember this because of this, the huge stigmatism that's attached to this idea. The minute you talked about someone being demonized or demon-possessed, immediately, immediately, faster than anything, there is a stigmatism attached to it. If they're, if there's, if they're, if they're somehow being afflicted or harassed by some sort of a, 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 an evil spirit of some kind, clearly they must have done something to get themselves into trouble. Clearly they are bad people. Therefore, this is happening. Now, that was an attitude that was present in first century Judaism, but Jesus never, somebody say never. never. Say it again like you mean it. Never. never once does Jesus meet someone who is afflicted by an evil spirit. Never once does he treat them with astigmatism. He always treats them as victims. He always treats them as, as someone who is oppressed. And he, and he never even, he never, he never, and I, I said this three weeks ago, I'll say it again. Oftentimes, when Jesus ministers to people, like if he'll he will come back around and say, "Hey, now stop sinning, lest someone else something else worse happens," or "Go and sin no more." That's not an unusual statement from Jesus, right? But never once does he even say something like that on record. Do we have him even saying something like that to someone who is oppressed by a demon? Not that he couldn't have. Not that not that there aren't breaches. Not that there aren't behavioral stuff. Not that people. Sh- you know, shouldn't be careful about what they opened themselves up to, but that's just not the point of the story. The point of the story is not for the reader to look at these guys and say, well, there's clearly something wrong with those guys. They did something wrong. Shame on them. The point of this story is these men are horribly oppressed, but Jesus is Lord. That's good news. Yes. All right. These two demonized people, these two men that were afflicted, harassed by unclean spirits, they come from the tombs. They met him coming out of the tombs. What that means is that that's where they were living. They were living amongst the burial uh, areas in the region. Now, again, not only to the reader, but it would have been very common there that, that what we see is that these men were victims of a spiritual influence that compelled them to associate with things that were unclean and profane. This teaches us something about the nature of evil, that it it compels people to engage with, associate with, unclean, profane, dark things. This is why I would caution you, be, be careful about any. Any any fascination, undue fascination, or association with with death and rot and decay and darkness, that that's the that's the haunt, that's the the place, that's where the, the where demonic influence would compel people to obsess with. But the, the fact that they lived there, they lived in places the the Jewish audience would have seen. If you live among burial places clearly these not they that the uncleanness within them was uh, was controlling and making them live and live in unclean scenarios they were unclean within they were unclean without we know from other passages that they were naked that they they were people tried to chain them and they couldn't even be chained they were they 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 lived in a horrendous uh uh scenario then it's then it says they were so violent that no one could pass that way so not only were they unclean, not only were they profane, have an association with darkness, not only did that have an effect on them, what, that, what the evil's effect on them also had an effect on other people. They were violent. They were aggressive toward other people. They created fear. Not only did they, did they hurt themselves, they threatened to harm others. They were violent. They were threatening. They, they literally terrorized the region and they guarded the path you couldn't get from here to there from where jesus landed into the town was this was this spot here and they no one could pass that way because they protected it they were they were guarding a territory so where did jesus go he went to the he went to the gentile territory the son of god leaves jewish territory goes to gentile territory and what's the first thing that meets him Unclean spirits, demonized men, but the voices of demons that say, what are you doing here? We, this is our spot. But I want you to see that, in, that although Matthew doesn't give a tremendous amount of detail, it's important that you at least, he gives enough for us to feel it. That, that, this, that evil is real and it had no solution that it could be avoided, people tried to cope with it, people tried to use whatever measures they could, but ultimately there was nothing they could do to help these men and there was nothing they could do to save themselves from them. Evil can't be satisfied. It is an infection that seeks to, to to, 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 to be a tyranny, to dominate people. These people in this region had no hope. And these men had even less. And they come at Jesus, and they say, what are you doing here? They, 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 this is an assertion of a territory, of jurisdiction. This is our territory. This is an opposition to the mission of Messiah. It might have even been an initial attempt, you know, to intimidate Jesus. Come at me, bro, right? Like, they literally run at him. What are you doing here? An initial attempt to intimidate that we should say fell short rather quickly. (laughs) Have you come here to torment us or torture us before the appointed time? What does that mean? There is an appointed time for the final judgment upon evil. Sometimes people ask, why does God, why is there evil? Why doesn't God do something? It's, It's on the calendar. It's on the schedule. If there is an appointed time, and judgment will be comprehensive. Which is why it's necessary for those, especially that are aware of it, to repent now. Repent now. Trust in Jesus now. Judgment is real. Judgment is coming. Evil knows it. The clock's ticking. You say, well, "How do you know that?" Well, there's just here's just a few examples. Uh, that Matthew twenty five forty one, when Jesus is teaching in a parable, he actually says that the consequences of, of, for the disobedient, the unrighteous in this parable are, that, is that they will, be, they will be told this, depart from me, you who are accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. See, these voices, these demonized spe- these spirits and these men say, are you here to, tor- to torment us before the time? There is a time, and there's a place prepared. Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, we read this. It says, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Finally, Revelation twenty ten. here's the deal. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Clock's ticking. There is a time of judgment, and they see the Son of God coming, and they say, whoa, wait, what are you doing? It's not time yet. Some distance from them, Matthew says, some distance from them was a large herd of pigs. Not next door. Not there wasn't like a, like the gate wasn't right there, but it was within within view. But it was a little bit farther away. Uh, we understand from, from the from uh, history and from other texts that this herd could have been as large as two thousand pigs. That's a lot of pigs. Two guys. Two demonized guys. With, these demons speak. Now, when Matthew uses this word, and the demon spoke, it's interesting. Now, I don't want to freak anybody out here, but it's interesting. He uses a word that's not used anywhere else in, uh, in, the, in the Greek text. This, this word is, is not just a regular, you know, uh, word for demon. It, it, it connotates spiritual beings or departed wicked souls or ghosts or whatever. But these are wicked, evil entities, and the point is evil is real. They speak to Jesus... And, they, and, they, and the scripture says they beg Jesus, send us into the herd of pigs. Now, if anybody ever wonder what in the world, why did they say that? Anybody ever wonder that? Me too. So anyway, uh, I don't know. But uh, they, they don't want to be driven out. They don't want to be tormented. And so they see pigs. And all we know is that apparently that they can go into pigs. Apparently evil can infest anything. Now, I'm not trying to present some sort of a sci-fi weird story. This is the Bible. Matthew wants us to see this. Evil is real. Not, that shouldn't, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but it is real. You've got to see the truth. Evil is real. To get to the next truth, you've got to see this one first. Somebody say it out loud. Don't say amen. Just say it. Evil is real. These are sentient beings. They are aware of their physical surroundings, and they seek to even infest Pigs. Now, there's a lot of possibilities there. This is, you know, the, the Jewish audience would have said, well, of course, unclean spirits would go into unclean animals, all that kind of thing. But that's more reflective than frame-by-frame action, what's going on. Evil is real. Say it one more time. Evil is real. Tormented, aggressive, violent. No one can pass that way. They confront Jesus. They cry out. Just, if, you, if you must send us out, Send us into this. This had to be a, a relatively. Uh, I mean, there's no, there's no. You know how other stories they, the the gospel writers tell us what the disciples are saying. We, they're not saying anything. This this as as much as I have joy in my heart even telling the story. This would have no doubt been a very intense and potentially very frightening thing. No one, this is different. This this is frightening. No one had ever dealt with this. No one could ever have dealt with this. And now they're staring down one Jewish, you know, rabbi. And Jesus says, go. Jesus is Lord. Evil is real, but Jesus is Lord over evil. Someone say Jesus is, Jesus is Lord. If you want to say Amen now, you should. Jesus is, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is all Matthew records Jesus saying. If you have one of your, if you have a Bible text that has the words of Jesus in red, you can isolate this story, and it's really cool because there's a bunch of bunch of regular print, and there's this one word in red. That that and the whole story, the whole story turns on the axis of that one word in red do you feel it like horrible scenario hopeless men in torment their lives are hopeless other people live in tyranny and terror because of these guys this is this whole this is this whole area is a mess because of these guys there's there's stories children are afraid people don't come out of their houses I'm not making this stuff up this is how people live and then and then a few guys get out of a, a boat that's now very wet they're all closer wet. they're wringing out their robes, they're climbing up onto the shore and immediately they get out of the store, these two f- weirdos come up out of the, come down from the hill, screaming at them. Raw! Frightening language, probably profane, yelling at Jesus, what are you doing here, son of God? They knew who he was. Are you here to torment us if you're going to send us out to those pigs? and they, You get the idea that they, were, that they were screaming and rambling and over-talking themselves like I'm doing now. And Jesus says, What? One bullet. One. With a word. Or else, earlier in the scripture, remember in, 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 the, in 15, 16, 17, it says, And with a word he drove them out. And people always say, Ooh, what was the word? Like it's a magic word? It just means he just said one thing with a command. He drives them out. Again, friends, this remains a chain of stories with a singular main focus that the reader would respond with shock and awe and wonder at the authority of Jesus. Sickness and disease obey him. The wind and waves obey him. And demons and the power of evil obeys him. So they came out. Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And two thousand of these pigs turn and run down a cliff that tells us something about how significant the infestation was in these men you could say well that must have been that must have been two thousand demons it doesn't have to be but that's a lot that's a serious infestation. That tells us something about, hey, evil is real. And that's it. They were, this was a serious problem. But, that was, but it was not so serious that it, could not, it was not dealt with by one word from Jesus. And not only are they sent, Matthew wants us to know that they got sent long distance. The herd of pigs was way over there. He said, go. And they Evil is real, but there is hope because Jesus has total and absolute authority over it. Jesus did not come to these men and just exhibit that he cared about them. He didn't just come and sympathize. He didn't come and give them a hug. Tell them to hang in there, champ. When Jesus came and announced that, he, that his, his arrival in, in Matthew chapter 4, he did not say repent because the kindness of heaven has come, although heaven is kind. What he said is the kingdom has come, a dominion, an authority has come to, to displace the present rule. Make no mistake, Jesus is Lord, and for this we rejoice, for this we give thanks, and for this we tremble in wonder. Jesus Christ is Lord. And because of this, you and I never have to give way to the aggression of evil. The whole herd then rushes down into the steep bank of the lake, and they die in the water. Why did the pigs die? So many people say, why did Jesus kill all the pigs? Well, he didn't. The demons did. We can only make certain inferences that perhaps these pigs were overwhelmed by these, these spiritual forces and not being as sentient, not being humans, they were just unable to maintain any sense of, of, of self-preservation under the, the power of evil. The point of the story is to show just how evil evil is. They just, it could be that they, just, that they just immediately succumbed to a death impulse. It could be that these, these pigs, instead of enduring demons, just instinctively sought their own demise. We just recognize this. Evil is really evil. But Jesus is Lord. Now those tending the pigs, they run off, and in verse 34, they run off and they tell the whole town what happened. They explain the whole thing, and then the whole town comes out. And this is where it's really important to always, we always read what happens last. What does the narrator tell us what happens last in the story? Because that's usually the oish, the, the punchline, the, the, the shock, the real shock. If As if we weren't shocked already, here's the rest of the story. They come out in verse 34, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him, pleaded with him to leave their region. Why? Why did they want Jesus to leave? Many folks instantly just assumed that they were upset that they lost a bunch of pigs. That's possible. But they also saw these two demonized uh, tormentors free. They heard that they'd been set free. They see them free. We see in other texts that, that by the time the town got there, these guys are dressed. They are in their right minds. They are all put together. They are having conversations. They're, they're drinking tea. I don't know what they're doing. But they can see that what they had feared was gone. A number of years ago, uh, was in uh, San Jose, Cuba, just outside of Havana, for an evening service, and uh, they asked me to open the evening service. And so I began to pray. But I, I, I believe that as I was praying, I began to relate or quote uh, a a a a scripture reference, a, a story of the Gospels. And as I did, a gal over here to my right—it was a crowded uh, arena. And the gal, gal here to my right, uh, I saw that several, two or three people had picked someone up and had carried her uh, out and around to the back of the platform. And uh, I said to Uncle Larry, I said, hey, hey they're taking a lady <laughs> around the back there. And he said, well, go find out. So I went back there, and the gal was unkept, uh, not, uh, others, other folks had kind of presented themselves. It was an evening church service, but this gal was not, had not done so she looked like she had been elsewhere unpleasantly and uh she was um well I don't want to alarm anybody but she was flailing lots of things and and so there was a someone there who spoke English and told me they said oh this lady this lady uh when you were praying that she began to react and she she is demonized and uh I said oh and I said she also is sick or so there was a big uh, uh, a, a big like tumor on uh, whatever gland it was in her throat, but big tumor that was sticking out of her neck. She she's got a tumor and she's demonized. And uh, oftentimes, when I if I'm going to tell you a story of something that has happened in ministry, I usually dull it down a bit because if I tell you it frame by frame, it it might sound a little much. You know, I don't, I don't ever want to come across that way. you know, like burp, burp, you know. I don't want to sound like it was. I don't want to make it sound like a big drama thing when it actually was uh, a drama thing. So uh, anyway, so in those moments, you know, the Lord helps you. And so she was flailing, and they're trying to calm her down. And so I said, well, first of all, let's just do this. Don't, I don't know how, where do you get these ideas? But I said, well, first of all, let's just, just do this. So I just placed my hand on her head and blessed her, knowing that she just needed to be calm. And so I, I blessed her, and the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she succumbed to the floor, you know, down. And then I leaned into her and talked to her, talked to that spirit that was in her, told it to come out, didn't yell, didn't scream, just said, I don't know how this sounds to you, but I know what I mean when I say it, okay? Well, I I usually will say something like this, I know who you are, and you know who lives in me. Get out. I won't scream it, it doesn't need to, I don't need volume. Right? Jesus is Lord. And so there's usually some convulsing. There's sometimes a little bit of a debate. This time she physically responded a little bit. She coughed a little bit, which is normal. And then uh, she was calm. And then I prayed for uh, the tumor that was on her neck. I could. The night went on. Ministry happened. There was definitely some immediate difference but the point is like these men the next day she came to church dressed to the nines dressed to the nines looking like she was stepped out of a magazine and they interviewed her and she'd never been to church before never been to church before but she said something she was walking by the church and something compelled her to come in but she said when the man started talking she blacked out something came over her but she was totally free and the nurse testified that the tumor in her throat was totally gone Visibly, feelably gone. So these, these, this whole town sees this happen, and you'd think that they would rejoice even if they lost pigs, but they, they didn't. Something, something about this episode frightened them. Some commentators just quick, are quick to decide that they must have just loved those pigs, but that Matthew doesn't say, and he might have said, right? Grieving for the loss of their pigs, they, you know, they protested. But, here just, but listen to the text just by itself. The whole town went to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, what does Matthew want us to, to feel there? When they saw Jesus, they said, you've got to go. There was something awesome. They they recognized that they were in the presence of someone different. This authority, this lordship, the, the magnitude of who Jesus was, they recognized his authority and chose to reject it. Part of the point of this story is that Sin and sickness can obey Jesus. The wind and waves can obey Jesus. The forces of demons and evil itself will obey Jesus. But there is one thing in this world that has the capacity not to, and that is the human heart. The human heart can look at who Jesus Christ really is and say, no. No. And what's Jesus' response in the story? Does he put up his dukes? Does he yell louder? Does he put him in a headlock? Does he he demand submission? They pleaded with him to leave, and he did. I think that's probably one of the more frightening sentences I've ever read, that it's possible to say no, and he will comply. Here he is, the Son of God, the Son of Man, Lord of the universe, and these people say, you've got to leave, and he doesn't even argue with them. Backs away. The choice to follow Jesus is yours. Whether or not you follow Jesus, he's still Lord. Yeah. Oh, boy, is he Lord. Mm-hmm. He is Lord of all. And there will come a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But until that time, you and I choose. We choose the Lordship of Jesus. We choose how we will live in response to the Lordship of Jesus. Obeying Jesus still remains your choice. Now, let me just wrap up with some a few challenges about. Those, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, instead of said yes to Him and submit to Him, that you are living not only to believe in Him, but to be like Him, this story does challenge us a little bit further. There's a lot of scripture here, but don't worry, we're almost done. How does this teach us to follow Jesus? Well, what we see here is this. In response to evil, disciples of Jesus must trust and obey Jesus. We recognize and we trust in this fact that he is Lord over evil and that we don't just believe in him, we be like him. Which is why Paul will say to us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul will remind us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Jesus didn't come at these guys and duke it out with them. These human beings were victims of a spiritual force and therein lies our struggle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Evil is real, but Jesus is Lord. You and I as followers of Jesus then are commissioned to face and contend against evil. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a power and a problem with this story. The power of this story is it shows us the, the real face of evil, what it does to people, the torment that it does. It harasses people. The problem with it is that, that evil doesn't always look like these guys in this story. It doesn't always look like that. Sometimes it dresses itself up differently. Sometimes it's well-dressed and, has, and presents itself with a, a, a deceiving agenda. The Bible says that Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. E- evil doesn't always have a scary face and a loud voice. Sometimes evil is brace yourself, this is a little bit different for some of you. Sometimes evil is government agencies wanting to make sure that your kindergartners learn about perverted sexual behavior. Oh, what? Didn't see that coming. Yeah, that's evil. It just doesn't look like that. But, it's, but people still remain not our enemy. Our battle still is not against flesh and blood, so we don't throw darts and hand, and, and water balloons at at, at, at Congress people. We contend against the the evil forces behind those kinds of agendas. Yes. Amen. When evil opposes, like the men in the story, when evil comes at us, it comes at the church when it threatens the gospel or. or, or or wants to, to keep us back, well, what do we do when evil comes at us? We resist. Someone say resist. resist. Ephesians, again, Paul, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10-11, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. First Peter 5, 8-9, be alert in a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's Aggression. What's the response? Resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. 1 John 4, 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because of Jesus authority we never yield or submit to evil's encroachment or opposition. And when evil oppresses, when evil oppresses when it threatens and hurts us or others or vict- when they may, when evil oppresses, we confront it. Paul continues, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, "For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does." Don't be a jerk and call yourself a Christian. Okay? We don't wage war-, war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We contend against it. We confront evil. 1 John 3, the Son of God appeared in order to destroy the works of the devil. Finally, Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's so much more, but I'm, I'm running short of time. Let me just say this. Because of Jesus and his authority, Because his authority is immeasurable, so is our hope. Because his authority is immeasurable, so is our hope. See, what hope do we have against evil? What hope do we have to to resist it or to confront it or to overcome it? Our hope, because Jesus' authority can't be measured, neither can our hope. That means nobody is hopeless, nobody is out of reach. No circumstance is too far gone. Nobody is too broken. Nobody is too unraveled. Nobody is too held captive. Nobody is too oppressed. Nobody is too, nobody is too broken or gone or covered or tyrannized because the authority of Jesus cannot be measured. Therefore, no one is hopeless. Our hope is as limitless as the authority of Jesus. That means everybody, everybody that you know is fair game. No matter how far gone they are, they're fair game. (laughs) Jesus is Lord. Evil is real. Jesus is Lord. So disciples of Jesus resist and confront evil because it is evil and Jesus came to destroy it. Not because people will applaud it, but because Jesus said to do it. He modeled it for us. Resisting and confronting evil in the name of Jesus is our job. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. Let's stand together. can be tempting, I suppose, to become overly aware of circumstances and news and current events. And I suppose it can, that the idea of darkness in the world or brokenness in the world can begin, can begin to feel overwhelming. And when you begin to feel that, if you're ever tempted to feel overwhelmed, remember this singular truth. Jesus is Lord he is absolutely totally Lord he has immeasurable authority over it all and your hope is as great as the authority of Jesus itself so Lord I pray for those gathered here this morning we look to you Jesus there's two prongs in our response to this for those to this morning who might feel as if you're somebody who is just being tormented. You might have felt like sometimes there's a, there's a pressure or, or, or an harassment that frustrates, creates anxiety, creates a oppression. You might even sometimes call it a darkness. I want you to know that you don't have to feel shame or astigmatism for that. I want you to know that if you're being harassed, Jesus is Lord. If you're being oppressed, Jesus is Lord. If you desire freedom, Jesus is Lord. Would you just bow your heads, make sure you're bowed your heads across this place right now. Just because make sure that i respond to that how many of you here this morning would just be candid enough to say i i'm a candidate for freedom i i be i feel like times i've been harassed or pressed down or oppressed something i just can't shake sometimes it leads to compulsive behaviors that aren't great or harmful sometimes i get into a tailspin of just inner darkness and i take it out on people you know what i'm talking about I don't want to go into too much detail. Right here this morning, and you would just say, "Yeah, I know. I feel like even the Lord's talking to my heart right now." And I'm a candidate for freedom. With everybody's head bowed across this room, would you lift your hand at me and just say, "Hey, that's me, Dad. I'm a candidate for freedom today." Just lift your hand. Just be candid. Just don't. There's no shame in this, right? Wouldn't we rather would we rather be free than not, right? I'm a candidate for freedom. You know, normally I'd ask you to come on up and I'd lay hands on you, but you know Jesus just talked yeah. to talk to it, right? So if you just lift your hand, would you cross the room? That's death, death, that's you. Just that's you. I'm just going to pray for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all, let every foul nonsense thing that's harassing you, oppressing you, go. And I'm specific, I mean specifically, those foul forces of hell that have sought to harass or to destroy or to compel you, to bind you, those things have no place in your life. If, Jesus, if you will surrender to Christ, everybody in the room, if that's you, just say, Jesus is Lord. And if, why don't we all just say it robustly? Everybody say it. Jesus is Lord and if Jesus is Lord then let every harassing thing let every dark spirit just be compelled to be driven off of you go find a pig I don't care just get lost Lord in Jesus name let your people be free let your people be free. Let hope rise in them that the authority of Jesus is greater than even if they feel like they've been messing with stuff or opening doors or doing other stuff. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin and Jesus Christ sets you free. In Jesus' name. And if you'll, believe, if you'll help me to pray that with a prayer of agreement, would everybody in the house say amen? amen. Now, all of us, as you leave this house... First of all, just be, just no matter what, just begin to give thanks in your life that Jesus is Lord, and He's a and He's a, a freedom giving Jesus. And as you leave this place with joy, joy on your face and hope in your heart, you are an agent of the kingdom of God to drive out, to confront and to resist the evil that would hurt other people. And because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So on your way out this morning, be kind to somebody, encourage somebody, and keep giving thanks that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? God bless you. Have a fantastic Sunday. The Lord bless you. Keep his hand upon you. Come back next week. Don't get that beer virus. And stay happy, happy and healthy.